Hello, traders. It is Thursday, the 9th of July, 2020. Thanks for joining us today. This is our repeating feature uh, study hall from month to month called the, the Mindset Tune-Up. Today is very, very special. Uh, and the main reason it, today is special is you don't hear from me. You hear from someone else for once. Uh, a professional. So we're going to be covering trader psychology. Uh, we're going to do it in the format of a Q&A with Dr. Andrew Meneker. I want to remind you all that derivatives trading is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. The opinions, experiences, the information shared by Dr. Andrew Meneker are his and does not reflect the opinions of, doesn't necessarily reflect my opinions convergence or anybody else's so uh, make sure you fully vet out what he's saying before you apply it to your live trading what will we cover today we will just do a brief introduction of who dr meneker is he likes to be called andrew um we'll do a quick poll just to uh, establish a baseline of uh, the experience of members here and uh and then we're going to go into a q a now there has been an incredible response to the poll that uh, Nanaimo Trader put up in our forums uh, regarding what you'd want to hear about from a professional trading psychologist. Uh, I think there were over 30 questions. I had to actually lock that thread. But in order to get into anything substantive, I had to pare that down to about six key questions that I felt were pretty broad. A lot of the questions were kind of a similar uh, thing as, as what was being asked anyway. But we're going to start off immediately with a poll. And like all polls, you have a limited amount of time to answer. So I'm going to go ahead and launch the poll. There it is. You should be seeing it on your screen. You have one minute to respond. I'd like to see 100% participation here uh, if possible. Uh, but you have one minute to click one or the other. And the goal of this poll, of course, it's anonymous. Uh, we don't track who said what. Uh, so feel confident in responding. You have about 35 seconds. We simply want to know if you have worked with a professional relating to your trading. And by a professional, I'm referring to a therapist, psychologist, performance coach, um, mentor, uh, anyone like that uh, would would qualify as a professional uh, or outside help, so we can establish a baseline for the group. Okay. AFP does not count as a professional. And I'm not a professional at anything, <laughs> as you all know. Um, I just I'm a professional mouse clicker. That's about as good as it gets. All right, one minute's up. The results are in. We have 83% participation. That's appreciated. And then we're going to switch this over real quick. Hopefully you're all seeing, you're all seeing the results. 83% uh, of you, 83% um, of you have not worked with a professional and that's okay. And 17% have, it's actually higher than I expected. I expected it. Uh, those who've worked with a professional to be lower. Uh, generally that's the case. Most people just kind of figure it out on their own. Okay, so with that being uh, the case, let's just dive right in and get into who uh, Andrew is. Uh, Andrew is a li licensed clinical psychologist. 
with a PhD in psychology uh, since 1995. He's been a performance coach for top money managers and professional traders. More details at andrewmenneker.com. There's a bio page there and a wealth of information. So let's bring Andrew on. Andrew, can you hear me? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Murat. I'm here. Thanks for coming on, Andrew. So Andrew, I've known Andrew since 2005. We were both in a, uh, when I was uh, switching from being a, a very high volume scalper to a structured trader, I was part, briefly, I was part of this chat room that uh, Andrew was in. He was, his call sign was Pop Doc, still is. <laughs> and uh, we used to chat here and there. I met Andrew on a trip to Chicago, I think maybe three or four years ago. I think it was like seven or eight years ago, maybe. I my, the concept of time One escapes time me. I'm, I'm, in a, <laughs> I'm in a black hole of time, as Yoda would test. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've known I've known Andrew for a while, uh, and uh, and I think highly of him. Uh, we're going to dive in, Andrew, here and throw mm -hmm. uh, the first question at you. Sorry, uh, Moran. Yeah. Just before you get in, just so there's six questions, and if everybody can limit their questions in a chat box to these six questions and we've saved about 10 minutes at the end and we'll go back and answer them but please limit your questions to these six questions if you can yes so we'll address these questions at the end we will not take questions during the session we want andrew to answer these based on his experience as fully as possible so we'll run through these uh, with sufficient time to address anything that's relevant to these six questions, okay? So the first question is, how do I get away from the feeling that I have to be right in each trade? All right, and first of all, I'm just gonna say, Yoda, it's up to you to give me a bit of a warning if I'm getting close to that five minutes per question. Okay. All right, cool. And I just wanna add, before I answer this question, I'm gonna be answering it not just from the perspective of a trading psychologist, but also as an active trader, I've been trading a long time for myself as well. So I, I have that perspective to share. I've got skin in the game, in other words. So how do I get away from the feeling that I have to be right in each trade? Great question. There's a lot of ways I can answer this. First way is that there's a lot of things you can do. One thing is start learning and doing things to create a sense of contentedness in your life outside of trading. Very often what happens is we have unmet needs, all kinds of needs, and we try and get them met in trading. So if you can um, experience some contentedness outside of trading, that's definitely going to help. There's a lot of ways you can do that through a gratitude practice. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can do that. Another way to answer this question about how do I get away from the feeling that I have to be right on each trade is to understand the subconscious roots underneath that need to be right. And that's a very, it's a pretty big deal. It doesn't happen overnight. It generally takes someone else to help you with that because we have something called an ego, which makes it really hard to look at our own stuff, honestly. Another way I can answer this question or respond to this question, there's so many ways, is I would also ask this person who's asking the question, is this need to be right also present in areas outside of trading? How much is it in your life in general? And, and that's a question you sort of have to stop and really think about. You might have a quick answer to it, but I, I suspect if I were to ask people who are really close to you, close relationships, they might have a different perspective on your need to be right than you do. Very often, you know, we bring our whole personality with us into trading. So sometimes what I will look for, I shouldn't say sometimes, what I always look for when I'm talking to somebody about this very issue is 
is this need to be right mostly just in their training or is it pervasive throughout their life? Because that's two different issues, two different ways I'd have to approach that kind of a problem. Um, so those are um, a few things to keep in mind. And I wanna back up and just say, sort of the, the nice general way of answering this question of uh, learning to um, be satisfied, experiencing enough satisfaction contentedness outside of trading. I can't say enough about that. A lot of us in trading, you know, we put a lot into it, a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money. And as a result, we expect a return on our investment. And so we put so much into it that we often don't put a, as much into our life outside of trading and we forget about other things. And so what I'm saying here is you have to have a balance. Um, there's so many traders that are really out of balance in their trading and in their life. And that's a really big problem, and I do think it contributes to, the, to that already strong need to be right, which is part of human nature, okay? We all have a need to be right. It's just, it's just natural and normal, but it gets exacerbated. It gets amplified through a number of factors. And so one of those factors is if you're not feeling satisfied in other areas, emotionally satisfied through relationships, through other activities in your life, through other things, you're going to be seeking satisfaction in a very um, unhealthy way through your trading. And that's gonna contribute to that really extra strong need to be right. Um, I could say more about this, Yoda, how much more time do I have? <laughs> You've got a minute and a half. All right, wow. So um, let me just say a little bit about gratitude practice, which I kind of hinted at earlier as a way to create some satisfaction for yourself. So you know, boy, gratitude in a minute, it's almost impossible. Basically, um, creating, uh, reminding yourself of positive experiences that you've had recently outside of trading or even in trading, but I would say outside of trading for this question, and to immerse yourself in recalling those positive experience and experience the goodness of those experiences to remind yourself about the good things that happen in your life, positive, satisfying experiences you have outside of trading. Um, and it takes effort to do that. And we have to do it on a regular basis because in trading, you know, we face a lot of slings and arrows and we're often wrong and we lose money and we miss out. And there's a lot we have to do, I believe, to make up for those negative experiences. Otherwise you get caught in that uh, the, the need to be right becomes overly amplified. I'm gonna end it there and give the time okay. to another question. <laughs> Could you, uh, and also, Andrew, um, if you can allow at the end of the question, if there is some sort mm. of advice or action or exercise or something actionable that you can recommend as, as a, a first step, uh, mm -hmm. they're not going to remedy the problem, but mm -hmm. as a first step, that would be useful as well because we're always, act we, we will, at Convergent, we want to be action-oriented. Sure, yeah, and, and if I forget to say that, Yoda, or somebody, either of you guys, just um, tell, remind me to do that, and I'd be happy sure. to tack that on absolutely could you share a more extreme case of poor performance turned success by one of your clients what happened boy uh, which who to pick from um every everyone is so different um i'm going to talk about uh, a guy named james who was managing a small hedge fund 10 million under assets under management james a very smart guy very analytical, um, um, and 
boy, where do I start with James? So James was um, really had a really good understanding of markets. Um, this very smart guy. His problem is that he was, you know, I look at everybody uh, on a risk continuum with one end of the continuum being extreme risk seeking, the other end being extreme risk aversion. And I look, I always think, where is this person on that continuum? Where do they move around? When they get stressed out, which direction do they tend to move in, more risk seeking or more risk averse? Well, for James, it was definitely, he was moving more towards the risk seeking side every time he was um, feeling pressured or under stress. And he was moving towards that side quite a bit. He was having a lot of impulse trades, a lot of over trades, and just um, just really screwing himself up. Um, and so as we as we began working together, I laid out a lot of different ideas for him and a lot of different tools. And you know, he was the smart guy that he was. He he was trying to debate me on a lot of the stuff I was suggesting for him. And I'd say for the first, I don't know, quite a few number of sessions. We didn't really get anywhere. And then I started asking him more about, um, as I always do with my clients, about his background, about how he grew up, because I had this sense that he was reacting to the market um, as an authority figure, as most of us do. And so I wanted to get a sense, um, what is the pattern of reaction to authority figures in his life outside of trading? What, what else has happened in his life around this? Because it's, there seems to be something happening here in his trading. He thinks it's, it's unusual, but I just kind of a sense that it wasn't unusual, that there may have been some connections elsewhere. So I, I, I asked him about his family and growing up, and he started talking a little bit about it. And he mentioned something about his father, um, who's a very, who was a very successful businessman. His whole family was pretty successful high achiever kind of a family. And I mentioned something about, you know, his father and asking, I asked James about, you know, how discipline was handled and also about how, what kinds of expectations his father had of him and did James feel as though he was meeting those expectations. And James, after a little while of talking about that said, look, I don't want to talk about my father anymore. And right there, I knew that was probably where we had to go. So I backed off from that. Um, I came back to it another session or two later and he, he warned me and said, look, I didn't hire you to talk about my parents. I hired you to help me with my trading. So I, I backed off from that uh, again, but I knew it was really something we had to look at. And eventually, eventually things got so bad in his trading that he said, look, okay, I'm willing to do whatever, whatever we have to talk about. So we talked about his father and what it turned out for him is he had been telling me all growing up, you know, in that one session where he did talk about his, his background, he shared with me that growing up, what it was like was at the dinner table, you only talk about things that are kind of that you've succeeded at or that you're good at. You don't talk about things that are not going well. That was kind of the family, the family dynamic. And so in other words, start to have a seat at the table, literally and figuratively, you have to be a high achiever in a sense, or you just shut up and you're silent and you're kind of invisible in the family. And so, you know, at, he felt every trade he had to basically prove what it turned out is sort of the big insight that we had together is that each trade felt like a little mini proving ground for him. He had to prove to his father that he was good enough. Um, and so he kept missing out on his ideas. The market was moving without him. And so he would put on impulse trade after impulse trade in an effort to kind of secure some type of approval from a highly authoritarian father. And once, I was able to, to kind of deliver that interpretation to him in a way that he could hear it because it really has to come in a way you can hear it. It has to land 
So we call it sort of one of the ways we talk about it in therapy. The insight doesn't work unless it lands. So eventually I found a way for it to land. And that was a turnaround point for him. Um, not only did his trading significantly improve, we saw its drastic reduction in impulse trades. There were still a few that would slip in there, which I think for anybody who's had a lot of impulse trades, they still slip through. They slip through for me as well, because I've had the same issue for myself in the past. Another big thing for James is that he lost a lot of weight. This is a guy who was significantly overweight for a long time and couldn't keep the weight off. He finally dropped the weight and kept it off. So that was a really big, big bonus for him. Um, and uh, it was a really interesting time working with him. In fact, I even wrote up about this case in a um, in a case uh, case write up in a that actually ended up becoming a chapter in a behavioral finance textbook um, that's often used in MBA programs. So it's a really interesting case. Um, Andrew, and I still stay, stay in touch with him actually. Time. Yeah. Thank you. Um, one thing, Andrew, would you say? Um, would you say in this case the key issue is just not confronting um, uh, not confronting kind of uh, imbalances in his life that uh, that cause it like just as a as a kind of a one statement potential I know it's more complicated than that but yeah in general yeah but I, I would say the real key for me is the put my shrink hat on the key issue and I'll try and be like a 20 second soundbite the key issue was that he was reacting he saw the market as an authority figure and he was reacting to it as an authority figure and, and when he finally realized that then he was able to um, pull back from trying to prove himself in every trade that really was the key issue okay so, okay so next uh, how might you address a trader facing continued problems related to trading discipline or discipline in life in general Mm, yeah. Well, the first thing I would want to know about is this discipline in life in general um, business. What does that mean? Are they, you know, if they're not disciplined anywhere in life, then that's very different than someone who's disciplined in life but not disciplined in trading. Two very different situations. So there's kind of like two different questions here in a way. Um, so, um, oh, I see the little clock popped up. Thank you. Yeah, I thought it might um, assist you to kind of formulate. <laughs> nice. I'm not trying to push you in it and push you, but I no, figured it good. might I assist it. you. Uh, yeah. I'm a talker. I need it. Yeah. It was uh, really so, <laughs> so I'm going to try, I'll try and split this into two questions. Um, we'll see. That's a bit ambitious, but let's see if I can do it. Um, so if this person has discipline issues all over the place, including in life outside of trading, um, of course, we're going to have to, that would have to be dealt with because you can't just compartmentalize and only look at the trading. Um, like I said earlier in the other question, we bring our whole personality, we bring our life with us into trading, whether we think so or want to or not, it just is. And, you know, I'd be looking at, are there addiction issues for this person outside of trading? You know, are there, um, um, what, what, what does this discipline issue in life mean? Um, and like I said, there's, well, you know, I'm actually not going to separate into two questions. I'm going to make it as one question. It's really hard to compartmentalize for a trader. Everyone wants to, and people talk about it. And I, I probably have even talked about it previously and perhaps in some webinars and blogs. But I also know that it's a very idealistic way of approaching trading psychology. It's really hard to be 100% thoroughly compartmentalizing your trading versus the rest of your, your personal life. So I, I really think for someone who has a lot of discipline issues all over the map, you can't just address the trading. You have to address the rest of the stuff as well. Because um, what will happen otherwise, as I've seen this a lot, 
is you might get some you might get some traction with the trading if you address the the trading discipline, but then because the life stuff is all is kind of you know out of whack, that eventually it's going to pervade into the trading anyways because we only have so much psychological capital, and if you're not a disciplined person in your personal life, um, or you just have a lot of problems in your personal life, you're going to be taking a lot of hits, a lot of withdrawals on your psychological capital which is going to make it very hard to be disciplined in your trading. Um, so that, as a matter of fact, that's probably how I would begin to address this uh, with, with a, such a trader who's got discipline areas, discipline problems, um, not just in trading, but in life, is I would begin to sort of introduce them to the concept of psychological capital and how not being disciplined in areas out, outside of trading is, is detrimental to his site capital and why site capital is important for him in his trading or her in, in, in their trading. And so I would be very, uh, that's, that's the place I would probably start. That'd be the very beginning, very kind of step 1A, if you will, to kind of put it in terms of psychological capital overall. And then step B would be, all right, so what are those specific areas where they're not disciplined? Are there some patterns? Are there some connections between those areas? What do they represent? Um, sort of a little detective work here. Um, so I'd be doing a lot of that. And then I would try and map out, is any of that stuff in a psychological way associated with what's happening in the trading? Um, so there's a fair amount of, I, I think of myself as a detective oftentimes in my work as a trading psychologist, um, trying, to, trying to get a kind of piece little clues together, essentially. Um, I get little clues and they're very, usually not connected and it's my job to kind of see if I can find a connection between them. Um, if I look hard enough, I usually can. Um, and it also requires that uh, the person who's, who I'm working with is going to be open and disclosing as much as possible, being uh, sharing as much as possible. Otherwise, the clues are not as, um, um, they're not as strong. They're not as powerful. They're not as, they're not going to be as good for me. They're going to be harder to work with. So. This is a great question, and I think that uh, I'm just going to say to close it out um, that one thing you can do, so here's a practical, actionable thing, I think for everybody, regardless if you have act, uh, discipline issues in personal life or not, is to see if you can create more discipline in your personal life. And I think that would show up in your trading, actually. One does affect the other, definitely. So regardless of where you are, who you are, um, with regards to this question, I think it's good for all of us to create some type of a uh, increased discipline to some degree in your personal life and see if that pervades into your trading life. I have a feeling it might. I'll leave it there. So the, the, key, the key question here, uh, the key point here is whatever um, issues exist elsewhere in life are going to make their way into your trading performance essentially, right? So those need to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah, we don't see the market as it is. We see it as we are. Right. Yep. As in life, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. so uh, actually, let me not start that. What is a key takeaway from your experience working with traders? What sticks out to you? Mm, I love this question. Uh, love this question. Um, so, boy, um, I'll tell you, you guys and, and gals, um, one of the biggies um, this was a, something that I realized early on, but it was in my work as a trading psychologist, but it was one of the biggest and most surprising insights that I ever had. And it was never, because it was never written about, 
I'd never studied about it, never heard about it in trading psychology. I only encountered it when I first began working with traders. And what it is is this, regret in trading is inevitable. And I mean this for people who, regardless if you're super successful, because I know some very successful traders, I know some of the market wizards, I know some people who are spectacularly unsuccessful, and I know a lot of people in between. And what's so interesting is that regret is inevitable regardless of where you are on that success spectrum. Um, and that's a really interesting thing. And I've worked with traders who are really good. Some of my, some my current clients I've been working with lately were actually many of them were very good before they began working with me. And they often talk about regrets. It's, it's fascinating. So what I'll say is that regret is inevitable regardless of how well you're trading or how poorly you're trading. So that's a surprise for people to hear because a lot of people think, you know, good trading means you, you don't have many regrets. Well, that's dead wrong. Great traders have lots of regrets. Bad traders have lots of regrets. Everyone in between has lots of regrets. So that's a big surprise for people. Regret is inevitable. It's one of the things that makes trading hard, right? We miss out. We don't hold on long enough in the trade. We kick ourselves, we shoot ourselves in the foot for not taking that loss sooner or we got out to or, or whatever it is. Regrets are inevitable, regardless of how good you are. Another thing, another big takeaway, and I used to think this was a, uh, an issue very early on in my trading psychology, but I, I quickly got a handle on it, um, which is there's no such thing as perfection in trading. And anyone who's trying to search for or wants perfection, you're essentially shooting yourself in the foot and you're actually taking yourself further away from being a good trader. Um, there is just no way to be perfect in trading. Another really big takeaway from my work is that it's never gonna feel like enough, okay? No matter how good you become, okay? I had a pretty, I had a really good year in 2019. Doesn't feel like enough. I had a trader that I worked with at, I can actually use his real name because some of my traders actually, you know, they serve as references for me. Adam Nadler, um, good trader. Um, worked with him in 20, uh, several years ago, I forget what year it was what year it was exactly. Adam made $2.6 million in nine months that we worked together. On December 31st, it was the end of that year, he sent me a long email. It was kind of like an existential crisis. He was really besides himself because he was so nervous about going into the next year. Was this an anomaly? Can I make this money again? Do I deserve it? I feel empty. I mean, it was an existential crisis. So that's another interesting insight. Regardless of how um, well, you do, you're gonna, it's gonna feel like on some level, you're, you're, there's either gonna be a self-worth issue is gonna come up or, and or I should say, there's also uh, gonna, gonna feel like it's never enough. There's a 2.5x 2 .2 x, to be more precise factor that, that uh, prospect theory talks about, right? Which is we experience um, losses two and a half times more intensely than we experience gains. Well, I would say that there's also a 2.5 X factor in the experience of not enough. And I see this a lot. I live in San Francisco, right here in the city, in the Bay Area, lots of uh, um, tech money that, that comes and goes very quickly here. And I've seen people make a lot of money quickly. And, and, and what happens is that somebody will have a certain dollar amount in their mind. I wanna, I wanna have a certain amount of money, then I'll feel good, I'll feel secure, I feel like I've arrived, I'm finally wealthy. Well, guess what? Once they get, if they achieve that amount of money in a very short period of time, they're gonna feel as though they need about two, two and a half times more of that to actually feel secure because you adjust to it. It's, 
psychology, we call it hedonic adaptation. You get used to the new level. So that's also uh, a really interesting, there's a lot of interesting takeaways that I've had working with traders. You'd be surprised. Most people are not aware of these because they don't actually get written about, and I'll be honest about it. It's because I think there's, A, there's not a lot of successful traders, and a lot of them actually, they, they trade on their own. They're not going to be working uh, with someone like me. However, what's interesting is that I would say 40 to 50% of my coaching clients are already successful traders, um, very successful traders. So I, I feel really lucky in that um, for myself as a, as a coach. Very cool. Boy, I just got it with zero seconds. <laughs> <laughs> You're timing yourself, I guess. I was, um, I was talking faster at the end. <laughs> what are some of the keys in establishing and maintaining the proper mindset for trading? Uh, there's so many things, uh, so many things. I mean, you can we can start really broad and, and basic, but it doesn't mean it's not good or it's not really, really good. You know, mindfulness meditation, great place to start. Um, recognizing there's something called psychological capital and managing that for yourself. Um, so we, the question is interesting because it says proper mindset, and I'm going to say, you know, we can also take care of our body to help the mind as well. They are very connected. And so I'm going to say that you want to be exercising and, and, and hydrating. A lot of people don't drink enough water. You have too much caffeine um, oftentimes. And there's so many, those are some biological, physical things we can do to help support the mindset. But then there's also other things very specific besides, you know, laying the foundation of something like mindfulness meditation. Getting you know, some people will do mental rehearsal or visualization as a as a preparation. Some people will do some some journaling as a preparation. I would also suggest you can go back and reread what you wrote in yesterday's journal as a way to kind of get ready. Here's what I need to look out for. Here's what happened yesterday. Um, by the way, I'm not sure if the question is going to come up today, but this idea of how to create a 100% clean mindset for the trading day. Uh, Maybe I will get that later because that's a great question for me to answer because I'll just say that you can't. That it's a fallacy, the idea that we're going to be purely 100% uh, clean. That's saying that you're going to be 100% objective. And humans can't be. We're not. We have a personal filter. So well, all we can do is we can try and increase our psych capital. We can try and increase our resilience. That's really what we should be doing. Re resilience, what that is, that that's um, how do you deal with difficulty? How do you deal with adversity? You know, difficulty and adversity. It shows up in a lot of ways. Waiting, waiting for your level before you put your trade on. Waiting to get out. You know, trade's working, but it's really slowly working and it's noisy. Or what do you do when it gets to your profit target really quickly? Do you think it's going to keep going? Maybe it shouldn't take anything off. So these are the these are the types of things that we face in, in trading. And I think that if we were to um, prepare ourselves to be resilient in the face of these stressors. That's really the best way to pre pre prepare your mindset because really the, the two biggest traits, I mean, there's been a lot of research on this and it usually comes out to be these two traits. The two biggest traits that are associated with successful trading is resilience and open-mindedness. Now, sometimes they go by different names. Some people call it grit or this or that, but it, it kind of comes down to resilience and open-mindedness. Resilience is about, you know, how well do you deal? How well do you deal with adversity, basically? And like I said, trading is a lot about dealing with adversity. 
it's not so much about making money, although that's why we come to trading, because we want to make money. But what you quickly find out, I'm sure many of you probably have found out, hopefully all of you have found out by now, is that you've also signed up to experience a lot of adversity, right? And that's really what it's about. That's what we do in trading. Waiting, for me, I'm an, I'm an impatient person by nature. I hate waiting. I mean, talk to my wife when we're in a traffic jam and you know, ask her what it's like. It's like, she's not going to like it because I don't like waiting. So waiting is really hard for me. Um, and so what, what's going to happen is you have to create resilience. Resilience is the way to create the mindset. Um, and then make sure your site capital levels are as high as possible. Open-mindedness is a whole other area. I don't want to, I can't do that in a minute and nine seconds, but um, hopefully that will come up maybe later. Um, but you want to do things that are going to prepare you to be resilient. Now, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'll just kind of come back to an action-oriented thing. Mental rehearsal, nice thing you do before you even look at the market in the morning and also at night before you go to bed because it's kind of close to your subconscious. You can influence yourself a little bit more. Um, see yourself, not just what you want to see happen, that's visualization, but also re rehearse how you'll respond to things that you don't want to have happen, okay? That's different, right? That's mental rehearsal around adverse situations, not just visualizing the win or visualizing the ideal, which is nice, but I'm talking about preparing yourself by becoming more resilient for those inevitable disappointments that we have in trading on a pretty regular basis. No matter how good of a trader you are, no matter how successful you are, you're going to have regular disappointments all the time. You're going to miss out. You're going to get not filled by a tick. This or that. I mean, all kinds of crazy things are going to happen. So we have to be prepared for that at all times. Okay. Uh, mental rehearsal really is uh, something I had to deal with uh, relating to a different topic. Really, it's uh, when I was getting divorced, that was a very important mm -hmm. tool. And one of the things I took away from mental rehearsal, which was a big, uh, which was a big thing, it was uh, called like the transformation technique or something, the, the marketing name of it. But essentially, what it did is it made adverse situations seem familiar, so it calmed mm -hmm. it calmed that that flight or fight response because you'd already experienced it, and now you can just kind of follow the steps that you said you would follow and have already mm -hmm. had the experience. So uh, mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a very uh, important piece for traders to have. Yeah. yeah. And I'll just add to juice that up a little bit. You can add biofeedback to the mental rehearsal so you can train your body to have a calmer physiological response when you're facing adversity, which is a really nice way to add a lot of power to that mental rehearsal. And, and most of it, much of it, uh, is just taking a moment, a few seconds, breathe, bring awareness back to how you're feeling, the knot in your stomach, the knot in your throat, and just being aware of that. So the next action that we take is one that's done from a position of power as opposed to, you know, the old mm -hmm. brain or the gym brain kind of, you know, throwing feces at the wall or whatever we do to respond, <laughs> you know. So it's it's an important piece for trading. It's something I had to confront to not only in my own trading, but in other areas of life is, is the point I was making. How do you mm -hmm. separate emotional reactivity from intuitively mm -hmm. reacting to changing market conditions? Yeah. Wow. Great, man. This comes really into my um, kind of my sweet spot. This is the area developing intuition. That's the area that I really 
love the most. I mean, that's a, that's a, a really important area. I love working in this area. So here's, here's what I'm gonna say. And boy, it takes take me a long time to deal with this question, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna really pare it down here uh, to, a, to a few things. Um, so the first thing, the first step is that you have to do a lot of self-awareness work because you have to firmly understand your emotional patterns, right? Because you have to, to be able to differentiate in the moment, is this hope, fear, a fantasy, or is this truly an intuit, intuitive uh, sense? To be able to differentiate between that in the moment, you have to be able to recognize what are your emotions in order to differentiate an emotion from an intuition. That's the very first step. First, first step is what are my emotions? How do I have emotions? What are they like? What are they like for me? What kinds of patterns do I have in my emotions? Because you want to make sure that you're not tuning into that, thinking it's your intuition. So that's the first step is to really understand your pattern. And everyone has patterns. You know, we, we, we think of markets and pricing, price uh, having patterns and there's price discovery. Well, guess what? Same stuff happens with our emotions. There is patterns. Um, in fact, I, I use an idea called the inner market. And our inner market can very much be analyzed like you can analyze a market. There's, um, there's, you know, there's supply and demand in our inner market, just like there is in a market that we see, you know, in our charts. So that's that first step is to develop awareness of your emotional patterns. First, your emotions and then what your patterns are like. Second step is to really understand your defense mechanisms because you don't want to you know, get caught in the trap. This happens very often. You think it's intuition, but it's really a defense mechanism. Defense mechanisms are things, the reason why they're called defense mechanisms is because we're defending, our, it's our ego defending itself, basically. It's, we're trying to defend our sense of, are, are we good enough? And so it's uh, very, very common, very easy. It happens on a very regular basis that our ego, you know, sends us messages and here's, here's what to do. And we're going to, you know, if you don't understand what your defense mechanisms are, if you don't understand how your ego defends itself, you're going to very easily think those are intuitive thoughts. So first step is um, lots of self-awareness work to firmly understand your emotions and your emotional patterns. Step two is understand your defense mechanisms. Um, and that's all. It takes a lot to do that. And I'm going to say that it's, uh, it's not easy work to do. Um, it can be very challenging, but very rewarding. Now, there are many more steps. These are the first two steps, and I'm staying with these two steps because most people actually never get past these two steps. Uh, these are critical steps. If you can't get past these two, you're never going to get to the point of being able to recognize what's an intuitive uh, instinct versus what's an emotionally based reaction like a fear or fantasy or, de or desire um, or hope. It's very, very difficult to differentiate those. And again, um, here, well, here's another way I'm going to say it. Intuition is not necessarily uh, come, comes wrapped in a way that we think it's going to come wrapped. It doesn't deliver itself as like, oh, here's your intuitive thought. It can show up in a really subtle mass in kind of hidden, well, maybe in a masquerading kind of a way, not so much hidden. Uh, it can show up as a body sensation. It can show up in a lot of different interesting ways. Um, and so it's, it's sort of at the later stages of recognizing intuition from, from um, emotion is really learning 
your intuitive signature. Everyone has their own. Um, and so often in my work with traders is kind of, that's like the final stage that we get to is, is doing that type of work. Um, really cool stuff. It's really fun. Unfortunately, most people, you know, I'm going to say never really get to that point um, because it takes a lot of the earlier stages of the work, the recognizing your emotions and understanding your emotional patterns, and then getting a real good handle on your defense mechanisms. Most people never can't really get through that stuff. And so they're, they're never going to get to the point of, of being intuitive. Now, there's some people that are naturally intuitive, and those are folks who probably have uh, a, a more balanced uh, ego in some ways and who have a natural intuitive sense of what their defense mechanisms are versus what their hopes and fantasies and fears are. So, yeah. all right, barely finished. <laughs> um, so those are the, uh, that kind of uh, wraps up the questions. Before we move into any additional questions, we have a little bit of time remaining. I uh, want to let everybody know that Andrew contributed a handout, which I'm going to put in front of you here. Uh, there's a, where are the handouts here? Hey, Marat, is it the latest one I sent you, a new version of it the other day? Yes, like, it is. Okay, good. Because there was a little typo on the other one. My my wife caught it. She's my editor. So. Okay, so this is the handout. I think it's really good reading. Uh, he does, you know, Andrew does refer to Annie Duke, who wrote Thinking in Bets, and and I had first come uh, great book. Become, uh, become familiar Everyone with that idea. That yeah. yeah, it's yeah, very good. Um, yeah. I got the audio book and and uh, and uh, was was getting uh, sidetracked by just the way she was reading, but it's really really good content. <laughs> um, so this process versus outcomes, uh, you have the ability to um, to grab this handout from your uh, GoToWebinar uh, chat, uh, GoToWebinar panel in front of you. Just go to handouts and you can grab it. Uh, but if you have any issues, no worries. This is going to be uh, linked or connected or uploaded to the recording page of this webinar. I strongly, strongly urge you to read this because this is the kind of thing that took me a long time and a lot of money to discover, not only with myself, but with my prop traders as well, uh, where we just focus a lot of time talking about trades that were good or setups that were good based on whether or not they made money. Uh, and and that's not how we want to look at things. We want to look at things, uh, as we've discussed many, many times here, that uh, we we want to look at things in a way where um, we want to look at things in a way where you know we are discussing execution, the quality, of the execution, the quality of the process, and then let the outcome kind of take care of itself if we have an edge. Uh, that's very important. That way, we're not kind of constantly being volatile, bouncing up and down with uh, with every trade. In terms of um, in terms of how we feel, our emotional capital and our you know desire to give up because it doesn't seem to work. Just follow the process. Uh, be some a bit of a, a computer that has emotions in a way to 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 see what the outcome will be. Um, Yoda, uh, what do we have in terms of questions that uh, uh, Andrew can address here in the next few minutes? Sure. The first question 
what are some signs or red flags that our psychological capital is being negatively impacted through trading? Oh boy. Um, hmm. Well, I'm, I'm going to say that uh, I often like to have people consider categorizing their trades into one of four types. Um, a type one trade is good process, good outcome. Type two is good process, bad outcome. You get stopped out. Type three is bad process and um, bad outcome. Type four is bad process and a good outcome. So I would look at, um, is this person, I would say, look, if you're starting to get a lot of type threes and type fours, your site capital, and even some type twos, your site capital levels are probably going down. Another way to, to, to look at it or to watch for what to watch for would be, of course, you're putting on more impulse trades, um, that kind of thing. Or you're, if the problems that you know that you have as a trader, if they are showing up more in any given moment than in, in, compared to other moments, obviously your site capital levels are lower at that time. So it, that's the, kind of the easy one to, to look at, um, but it requires a lot of self-monitoring and being really honest with yourself. Um, you know, there's another issue which I didn't bring up, cognitive load, right? If there's a lot of stuff you're looking at, you're, you're bringing in a lot of new things to consider and to analyze, um, you should recognize that at some point your cognitive load is going to get pretty high and it's going to sap your psychological capital. So that's something to also be on the, uh, on the lookout for. If you just recently brought a lot of new things into your trading, that's kind of a red flag to be aware of as, as well. You, site capital may take a hit around that. It might be helpful information, but you want to keep an eye on your site capital as well. Um, so let's see, there's a lot of ways I can answer that. Um, let's see, what are some other things to consider? Now the big one would be to to really keep an eye on those type three and type four trades. And if you have a, a large number of type two trades, right, which are good trades, good process, you got in when you're supposed to get in, get out where you're supposed to get out, but they didn't work. Um, if you have a lot of those, some people, it's gonna affect them differently than others. And it's gonna sap your site capital faster than someone else. So if you're one of those people, then that's the kind of person you should be taking a break. Um, Recharge your batteries, take a psychological break, recharge your psych batteries, like step away from the computer, to do a little exercise. I love to work out, take a walk, go outside, go, you know, go eat some food, have drink, drink a glass of water, change the venue. Um, change the venue is what I'm saying, get away from the screen. Um, if you recognize any hint of, of, of psych capital levels are going low. And here's the thing, I'll just say this, you know, we're trading and we don't want to, um, we feel as though it's our job to sit here, plant our butt in the chair and not go anywhere, not miss out. And I'm just going to say that, you know, the market is an opportunity generating machine and, you know, it's perfectly fine to miss out. It was a big lesson I had to learn early on in my trading. A lot of traders have yet to learn it. Um, but once you start to learn that it's okay to miss out, um, you actually manage your site capital levels at the same time as you learn that it's okay to miss out. So I'm gonna say, if you feel as though you, you don't wanna miss out on anything and you're just like so keyed up on every little move, that's probably a sign that your site capital levels might be kind of getting low actually. So I will leave okay. that question there and we'll go on to another one. Okay, we mental capital. Is it important to focus on quote, the winning part of the trade versus for me, what seems to be the natural path, which is focusing on the risk and loss? Hmm, wow, interesting question. 
not sure I've been asked that before. Um, to focus on the winning part of the trade versus the risk and loss. Well, I mean, in trading, our job, first and foremost, right, we got to preserve our capital and we're risk managers that are, that are always looking for opportunities, right? That's how I see our job as a trader. I have to simultaneously identify opportunity and ex try and exploit it while simultaneously managing my risk. So it's two things we're doing at the same time. It's sort of like a seesaw. One might be a little emphasized more at once in one moment than the other, but they're both in play at the same time. That seesaw is in motion, right? Tending to the risk, considering the upside, attending to the risk, considering the upside, right? It's a seesaw, it's a balancing act. If you're more to one side or to the other, that's a problem, right? You're the, this is where that risk continuum that I spoke about earlier comes into play. Seeing yourself, where are you on that risk continuum? Are you spending more time on that risk-seeking side or more time on the risk-averse side? You know, ideally, you want to move around to some degree, not to the either extreme, but you want to move around kind of in the middle part of that band, but not be stuck in one place. You do, we do need to move around a little bit, but not too much. So that's what I'm going to say. Think of a seesaw. You, you, you're considering both the risk and the win, and at any given moment, you're thinking about one more than the other. But if you're thinking about one exclusively, that's a problem. Okay, so... Um... I think we only have time for one more uh, while we have you here, Andrew. This is a thread that uh, Nanaimo started to get these questions. This one has been brought up again in, in you know, my effort to keep things under control in, ter in terms of time. Uh, somebody brought this up again, which is a, a big problem, right? The, it says fear of loss uh, and loss aversion. Coming from a modest background, the fear of losing money after trading for the past three years recently generated execution anxiety that I've not experienced before. I think I subconsciously am trying to avoid another loss given that the outcome of the next trade is 50-50. Even if I believe that in the long term, the odds are skewed towards me, that I hesitate to take the trade and that I'm inventing trades to make up for the lost opportunity that I did not initially take. What exercises would you recommend to help with fear of loss when trading live in, in order to obtain some carefree execution uh, without mm -hmm. hesitation mm -hmm. as in SIM. I do obtain results, good results in ZIM. And I'm going to throw the second one at you. How would you uh, reprogram the mindset? Mm -hmm. How would you reprogram the mindset uh, subconscious in order to help me move forward in this journey? Big questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow, huge questions. There's no way I can do these justice at all. You have five. So what I'm going to tell you guys is just like <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you guys a preview of the preview here, uh, a sneak preview. Um, <laughs> so, boy, I, some of the first question I wasn't sure. There's a few words that cut out. Were you saying the person had a background where they had some financial hardship growing up or something as well? Did I uh, part of it? background? I'm I'm guessing modest, ba modest background relates okay. to yeah relates to okay. just yeah. modest yeah. you know uh, income okay. things like that. Yeah. So here's a couple of things. One thing is that, you know, traders are often looking for exercises to solve a problem. And while there are exercises that can certainly address problems, before you engage in the exercise, you have to really come to an understanding of what's underneath the problem. What are the roots of the behavior? So um, I can give you an exercise, but it's not going to do anything for you until you understand the roots of, of what's happening for you around the loss aversion. Um, now, can I kind of this is a nice segue into the other question, which is reprogramming your mind and, and whatnot. 
and then the sim stuff about the carefree. Let me let me do the sim carefree thing and then come back to the reprogram your mind. So, you know, I think that this idea of being the carefree trader, I believe it comes from Mark Douglas. Um, and I wish Mark was alive because I would love to ask him this question, why he used that phrase, because I think he did a big disservice to the trading community unintentionally. Good guy, a lot of good ideas. Um, you know, he passed away a few years ago. I don't know why he used that phrase. I think, well, I think I maybe know why he did. He used to work with a lot of floor traders and scalpers. And so it's it, carefree mindset is a very different thing there. As a human, it's impossible to be 100% objective. And to be carefree means you have to be objective in that sense. So I don't think it's actually an ideal that we should be striving for. I think it's, I think, uh, I think it's impossible. I think it's an, an unrealistic ideal, to be honest with you. So, um, so, you know, the the sim thing. So the reason why you can trade well on sim, and the reason why everybody can trade well on sim, pretty much, is that there's no consequences, right? There's no money. We know that. But why is that such a big deal? Well money is the arbiter of our self-worth and how we think of ourselves in a capitalistic society. So if you're losing real money, you're going to feel like a failure. And uh, on SIM, there's no real money loss. So there's no real sense of fail failing. Okay. So that's why no one will ever, ever, ever work out psych issues on SIM. SIM has its place, learning a strategy, learn a new platform, do some testing, whatnot. It has its place, but not in psychology at all. It's, it's actually counterproductive in some ways. So, um, and then reprogramming. Let me just say that there's a lot of sexy ideas out there about reprogramming your mind and all these ideas about how the brain is like a computer. You know, and I'll say that the brain is not a computer. You know, talk to a neuroscientist, uh, a neurobiologist, a clinical psychologist, uh, uh, anyone with formal actual training, not someone who has been certified in NLP. And what you're going to hear is that the brain is not a computer. You can't just reprogram it like software. It's not that simple. Uh, it's much more complicated. Um, and I'm also going to say that one of the things I think that the NLP folks miss on this whole reprogramming your beliefs, because it's a very attractive idea, um, certainly it's very compelling, but what they miss is that the idea is that our beliefs are supported mostly by our thoughts and our thinking. And, and so if you can change your thinking and your thoughts, um, you'll change your beliefs. Well, as a uh, clinical psychologist and what my neurobiologist friends would tell you is that you can't separate emotion from thinking and that our beliefs are actually created and built on a platform of emotion and thinking. Emotion and thought are two sides of the same coin, basically. So unless you deal with uh, your emotions on a very deep level, including your subconscious emotions, the ones you're not even aware that you're having, until you deal with that, there's no way you can reprogram, well, I should say, quote unquote, reprogram your beliefs. I hate to use the phrase reprogram because it's not a computer, but you can, you can create new beliefs by creating new emotional experiences. New emotional experiences is what creates new beliefs. And you can't have new emotional experiences until you can kind of begin to extricate yourself from the ones that you're caught in right now. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an age old, not shouldn't say age old thing, but in the last 20 years or so, 30, 30 years, really common, all this idea about reprogramming your beliefs and then your life will take off and you'll get everything you want because it's all about your belief system. Well, in theory, I get it and it makes a lot of sense. It's a lot of surface validity to that kind of idea. Problem is in the real, down in the trenches, it doesn't work that way.
Very cool. That's pretty, wow. Uh, I think folks will have to kind of bring that back up and listen this to it, is, especially on bad days. <laughs> this, and this is why I, I have a lot of my coaching clients used to do a lot of NLP work, and they thought they had changed their beliefs, but they never changed. They're still, it's the same stuff. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, it's the found. It's the psychological foundation. That's uh, that's the source there. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, Andrew, uh, we really appreciate having you on. Um, we, you know, we want to thank you for taking the time today. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you back on. For those of you who want to get more information, you can go to andrewmenneker.com and uh, get some get some information. And if you need to have access to Andrew. Uh, there's there's a way to contact him there. Make sure you let him know that uh, you're from Convergent and uh, to refer to this webinar as the as the, as the kind of follow-on, so he knows what uh, what frame of mind you're coming from. Uh, yeah, really and I'll just say, uh -huh. please make sure you do identify yourself as from Convergent because I I avoid doing webinars for most people who ask me because I think a lot of traders actually don't have much of an edge, but I definitely agreed to come on and do this today with Murad because I know Murad's one of the better educators out there and people are, who are you know, learning from him stand a decent chance of making it in trading because all the psychology in the world will not help a trader unless they have an edge. And so I, I kind of feel like you guys probably have an edge, so that's why I was willing to kind of come on here and do my thing today. Well, uh, I think one of the things you said to me over lunch that stood out, uh, and I I don't remember what led up to this, but you kind of put this out there on your own during the conversation. You said, um, you said I think you're one of the few, you're probably one of the fewest tra few traders that I've come across online who has not changed uh, what he's talking about in the last, uh, you know decade or so. I think that's one of the things mm -hmm. I really walked away from there going, oh yeah, I haven't. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm only passing on what I believe in uh, and hopefully it works for others. Nothing works for everybody, but uh, we do the best that we can. So make sure you let Andrew know that you're coming from us and he'll be able to kind of address you from that perspective. Thanks, Andrew, for coming on. We appreciate the time, and thanks, everybody, for listening in, and, of course, Yoda for moderating. Take care, everyone.